Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance his kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. This morning, we're going to look at chapter two of Ephesians. Now, when we look at the book of Ephesians, how many of you have read it before? And it is chocked full of knowledge. It is chocked full of guidance and wisdom and revelation and all of these things. So when we look at the book of Ephesians, we know that it, is a, it was a letter written by Paul while he was in prison to the church. You know, and I thank God that he wrote it because we got a copy of it and we can look at it and we can we can read it and we can actually gain the knowledge that they had because how many of you know the church is the church and will always be the church. So when God gives guidance to the church, the people of God, uh, point to yourself. This, this word is for us this morning, the followers of God, the church, okay? The church global, okay? So when we look at this, we have to understand that the Bible is not just something you read through, you study once, and then you're done. But how many of you, when you have read through the Bible, you've been reading through it, and all of a sudden something pops out? Maybe you read it a second time, then you see something else. I, I really highlight and I write notes in my Bible a lot, but I kind of hate doing that because the next time I go through it, I'll see something else. And then I wonder, why did I underline that last time? Anybody ever done that or just me? So then you got everything's underlined, right? So why does that happen? Hebrews 4.12, it says, The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. So what is that talking about? It divides the soul and the spirit. We live in a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit, right? So it says it actually severs and divides the soul, the, the mind, will, and the emotion from the spirit. How I many of you know that's a pretty sharp knife, right? That's what the word of God does. It separates the joint, the marrow. These are the small things in our life that the word separates. And it says it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And sometimes we respond to that by going, oh. Because how many of you know you can argue with a lot of people, but it's hard to argue with the word of God. Because when we read it, it kind of filters us. It, it, it highlights the things in our life that are right, but it also highlights the things in our life. How many of you ever had this happen? They need to change. You're like, I don't like that chapter. Let's go to the next one. Right? You ever been there? Like, th this is what it does. It illuminates dark spots. It illuminates what God wants. It, it, and, it, and it's inspired and it's written really by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all scripture. Can you say that with me? Say, all scripture. Even the begots, begats, begots. You ever read that? I don't know why it's there, Lord. You'll show us when we get there. Like I read through it, I'm like, Lord, it's all inspired, right? But it says all scripture is God-breathed. That means inspired by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in what? Righteousness. Righteousness means what? In right standing with God. How many of you know when you're in wrong standing with God? Sometimes we don't know what that wrong standing looks like till we look at Scripture. But then when we look at Scripture, that is the standard, right? We can't look at our lives and say, oh, man, I'm doing way better than John. Or John's saying, man, I'm doing way better than Pastor Noe, so I'm good, right? It's not how it works. The standard is God. The standard is Jesus. And his standard is a high standard. So we can't reduce that standard and feel good about ourselves. We have to look at the biblical standard, and that is the standard that we're shooting for. How many of you, when you were younger, you used to lower the basketball goal? How many of you, as a full-grown adult, you lower the basketball goal so you can dunk? My 5'9 ain't getting that high, man. I know some people can really, really jump. I can't really, really jump like that. So what we do, we put that goal down so I can slam dunk, and we're like, yeah, look at me. Well, sometimes we do that in life, and we feel good about ourselves, but it only counts when we keep it at the consistent standard. 
right? We may feel really good, but the standard is a whopping 10 foot. And I'm 5'9", flat, okay? So I, I can't get there unless I get a boost or I jump on something. So we can't reduce the standard and expect to be happy about the results. We want to keep the standard intact. We want God's standard, God's word to be the mark. And that's what we shoot for. Agreed? Because how many of you know when we do that, we all grow. We're all challenged. Because how many of you know right now, you could look left and right and you'd be like, man, I'm better than this joker over here. We could do that, right? Or some of y'all might say, I have arrived, Right? When we look at God's standard, it kind of puts us all in that place of humility and in a, in, a, in, a, in a just a humble heart to respond to the scripture and realizing we all need God to work in and through our lives, okay? So as we jump into this chapter in Ephesians, um, remember the first three chapters of this book really give us a better understanding of the gospel story, what Jesus did, what, what God did through Christ, what he's done for us. So, you know, that, passage, that, that statement, it is in Christ that you have received all of these things. So we see the, the, the gospel story woven through all of these. So in this first part of chapter two, what Paul does, he jumps right in and he lets us know first and foremost that we are made alive in Christ. Okay, that, that's, that's, the, that's the good part of the story, that we are made alive in Christ, that we are changed, that, 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 that we're not, you know, we're actually resurrected to this new life. But what he does first and foremost, he really wants us first to have a really good understanding of, of, of what it looks like in our terrible, broken spiritual condition before Christ. Now, many of us don't want to go back there, right? We think about the, 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 the I say that the heathen days are the days that we were far from God, but he wants us to know where we've come from and where we are so we know what God has promised in regards to where we go. You know, there's a passage in scriptures that says that he that has been forgiven much responds with a greater heart of gratitude, right? Well, if we think we were just saved from a little bit of sin, how many of you sometimes will think we've just earned it or we've deserved it? <laughs> But when we see our sinful humanity in our broken, most terrible state, we all come to this level playing field of realizing that all of us were lost on the way to hell. And God sent the Savior of the world to come and redeem and save all of us. Me included. Pastor of Harvest Time Church. This is not just a pick and choosing. Well, oh man, surely not you, Pastor. No, surely this guy. Absolutely. We were all deserving of death. Okay, so let's jump into this passage. We're going to look at Ephesians uh, 2, and I'm going to read 1 through 10 first, and then we'll kind of dissect some of that scripture. So what we'll do, we'll read the text, and then we'll break down the text. So at the end of this, this morning, we will go through the whole second chapter of Ephesians 2. All right, 2 verse 1, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That doesn't say some of you were, some of you weren't. Matter of factly, all of us, you were, okay, dead in your transgressions and sin. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of, the sin, of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming age he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. 
Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That is an awesome passage of Scripture. Because we see where we were, and we see what God has done through Jesus, and then it gives us hope of a good future because of the work that Jesus has done. So this, this but it, it really communicates who we were. So we want to, we do want to look in the rearview mirror momentarily. It's not good to look in the rearview mirror all the time. What happens when you consistently drive and you're looking in the rearview mirror? You wreck, okay? So the, the, the goal is not to continually look back, but we want to look back momentarily to get to the heart of what Paul really wants us to understand. He wants you to see that you were lost in your sin. He wants you to see that you were, you were a dead man walking hopeless with nothing you could do to save yourself. Right? I think sometimes as Christians, we try to take credit for what God and Jesus did alone. Well, I was good, or I showed up to church. Well, like, I mean, he built the church. Church wouldn't be here if it wasn't God's plan. And, you know, like all of these things, like we, we give ourselves way more credit than we deserve. And I think if we really look closely, guess what? You know how much credit we can give ourselves? None. And if we understand that, we put all of the credit on Jesus and what God has done through the Son. But how many of you know that just like placing our trust in him, and if, if he had to do it all and he's doing it all, how many of you know that take, that takes all the pressure off of me? Because if I've worked for it then, it, then I can unwork for it and I can lose it and, I can, and it can slip away. But if Jesus has done all of the work from beginning to end, then he's going to keep doing the work. Guess what? From beginning to end. And there's hope and there's salvation and there's resurrection life to all of those whose trust are in Jesus. This is the testimony we get. But that first thing, he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. Every single one of us. So you have to break that mentality just for a moment and you have to realize how sinful and how lost you really were. Now, I grew up in a Christian home, so my perspective was like, oh, well, we're better than most, right? You know, that's what I was always thinking. But I was just as sinful and just as lost as anybody else. And I couldn't ride on the shirt tails of my parents to get into the kingdom of heaven. Apart from my relationship with God, I was deserving of hell just like everybody else. It's not that I was just born into a family and I get a freebie pass. Oh, I'm in the Kano household, Right? I believe when you're real little, you know, before what, what a lot of people call the age of accountability, I think there's special grace for those. But how many of you know there comes a time where we come to our senses and we know we are either choosing the things of God or we are choosing the things of the world? And at that moment, you are accountable for what you do or what you don't do, what you put your tra trust and faith in or what you don't. Okay? But it says you are dead. So a dead person can do nothing to save themselves. And this is sin's work in and through our lives when we're in this dead state. So we are spiritually dead. So you're unable to understand, appreciate spiritual things. I hear people get mad all the time. Well, don't they know better when we're talking about somebody that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord? No, they don't know better. Because the sinful nature is still at work. The work of the enemy is still at work in their lives. So they're completely lost. They're walking around in the dark. Like, it would be like if you're blind, standing here looking out and say, do you see all the people? And you say, I don't see all the people. I can't see what's in front of me because I'm blind, I'm dead, I'm separate from the things of God. So I don't understand those things. But just like a person physically dead does not respond to physically, physical stimuli, a person spiritually dead is unable to respond to spiritual things. You're separate from it. You don't understand it. You're not connected to it. But this word death, it actually means just, the, the word really means just separation. You are separate from what you've been created to be part of. 
We're dead in our trespasses. We're dead in our sin. So understand this, the unbeliever is not sick because I think he said, well, they're just sick. They just, need, they just need a touch from the Lord. No, he doesn't need, we, we don't need uh, resuscitation. What we really need is resurrection. It's completely different. Like they're still hopeful. There's a little bit of life in them, so we'll just get it working. There's no life in the, in the sinner's life. You are completely dead, and the only way to come to life is through resurrection. A change of heart, a renewing of mind. But we can do nothing of that on our own. Verse 2 and 3, it says, this is how we used to live. We followed the ways of the world. We followed the rulers of the kingdom of the air. We were full of disobedience. We were living for ourselves. Now, most of us don't like to acknowledge that. We like to think that there's a little bit of good in us. But in reality, we were living in sin just like the rest of the world. But we see that along the way, there's this moment that changes where it's like a but God. But Jesus came. And he changed all of that. It says that we followed the rulers of the kingdom of the air. So this is obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in this unseen world. Do you understand that there is a little bit of dominion that he has on the face of the earth right now? But that will come to end shortly when Jesus comes back. Right? But he, he's, he's, he's given a short time, which he's, he's going to be overcome. He's going to be defeated. But how many of you know that we can obey the spirit of God or we can obey the, the spirit of the devil, which is like the spirit of the Antichrist? The passage of Scripture actually says the spirit of the Antichrist is actually already operating and happening. What that is, is that is a spirit that is opposed to the things of Christ. And that is actually alive and active in the life of every unbeliever. So like we could say like we're full of the devil really before we come to Christ. We are full of the things of the world. Our thoughts and our ambitions and our heart is so far from God. What does it say? It says you were full of disobedience. How many of you know that word full means there's no room for anything else? Not a little bit of good, a little bit of sin. No, it says you were full of disobedience. You were always in your wrong way of thinking. You were completely separated. You were dead in your relationship with God says we were living for ourselves. So this is gratifying the cravings of the flesh. How many of you know our desires and our thoughts, the things that we meditated on, the things that we thought were carnal, they were evil, they were wicked? How many of you would be scared out of your mind if we could read your mind in those heathen days? How many of you know it's still scary even in those saved days? Sometimes the things that come across our thoughts are our minds. And, you know, in, in the Bible, it says, you know, in the Old Testament, if you commit murder, it's a sin. But it says, if you even hate your brother, like how many of you know that that, that measure of hate, it comes from the thoughts and the intents of the heart? God, I didn't even put hands on them yet. Strangle them, right? But it says, if you even hate. It comes from the mind. It comes from the heart. It comes internally, right? But it, it says that we gratified the, the cravings of the flesh, the desires. So whatever felt good, we did it. How many of you know that didn't end well? Right? And then the thoughts, it says that the, the, the things that we thought, we actually acted out and we practiced on those things and we, we, we fed into those things. How many of you know if you don't guard your mind and you meditate on something long enough, you act out on it? Right? That's why we guard our heart. That's why we guard our mind. But we're in this crazy cycle of sin and destruction. That's what this first part of the passage is talking about. So the reality is that we really are all, we were all far from God. But this passage at the end, it gives us hope. But we have this but God moment, right, that comes in. And it leads to the power of God's greater work in us that, that is fixing this problem of sin and death that, we, that we've been born into. 
I wish we were born into righteousness out of the gate, but we are born into sin. So that leaves us all in need of a response. That leaves us all in a, in a spiritual dead place in need of resurrection life that comes from Jesus alone. That comes by the plan of God being worked out through sending Jesus for you and I. So then it goes on to say what God did, okay? So this is what God did. It says that um, in verse 4, it says that he had great love for us. Do you understand he can't help but love us? He can't help but be loved because this is who God is. 1 John 4, 8, it says God is love. It's not like he's trying to be loving. He is love. And he lavishes that on us because that's who he is. That's what he's done. All of us were far, far away. But it says that he loved us and he was drawn near to us. It says because of his great love for us. But listen, he loved us not today where we're at as the righteousness of Christ, but in our sinful nature. Right, right where we were at. It says he loved us, God who is rich in mercy, we see that he loves us in this place. So this rich in mercy, what does this mean? Mercy means that he does not give us what we do deserve. How many of you have ever had to pay a consequence for a poor decision? Anybody ever paid a late fee on something? I hate late fees. It's like the worst ever. Why would why, why I got to pay this? Because it was late. You were penalized for not doing what was expected, right? You know, even library books, they'll still ding you for a dime here, a dime there, whatever. You know, I think it's funny. I'm just like, I'll just give you my money. I love the library. I was like, I just look at it. That's how I support the library. I was like, I, was like, I don't know how y'all make a lot of money, but you can, give my, you can give my 25 cents for my late fees on purpose, right? So you get a little bit of money. Can I give you a tip? Like, can I give you like two bucks? Um, but we're penalized when we break the rule of what was expected, we're penalized when we break the rules. And so that mercy of God, it's giving us what we don't deserve. He chooses mercy over consequence for sin. And even if I understand that, that he gives me what I don't deserve, how many of you know this morning that if I really wrap my mind around that, that would make me and cause me to want to take a step closer to God rather than step away from God? But a lot of people run from God and they're mad at God because they have this wrong perspective. They don't understand that God is love and that in my sinful ways, he loved me and he stretched out this hand of mercy that is full of grace for me. We have to understand this. So he, 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 give, he gives me mercy. He doesn't give me what I do deserve. But then he also releases his measure of grace, which he gives us what we don't deserve. So he withholds what we deserve, but he gives us what we don't deserve, right? He, he does these two things, this grace and this mercy, and, and it's unmerited. Because if we got what we deserved, we wouldn't get this grace and mercy. But because he is love, we get the grace and mercy. Amen? It's a powerful thing. But this grace and mercy, it's an amazing concept. Think about that just for a moment. These next verses, verse 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, it, it, these are with Christ statements. So when I say with Christ, he's saying in Christ we have these things. In Christ and with Christ we have these things. Verse 5, it says that we are made alive in Christ. So we were dead in our transgressions. And so it, we have to understand that this transformation of, of, of being dead and being made alive, it, it's based on God alone, what God has done through Jesus. We can't do anything. Remember, we're dead. We're laying there helpless. 
You ever seen a dead person kind of look at you and say, hey, can I have some water? <laughs> It'd be a bad day, buddy. So, maybe here perhaps he wasn't dead. Like, I think that's how we think we are in our spiritual state, but we are dead. There's nothing we can do for ourselves. But it says it's by grace, it's something we don't deserve, that you have been saved. Did you get that? Because of what God has done, his grace that you have been saved. It says that he raised us up, so he released resurrection life in verse 6. He exalted us from being dead to being made alive. Something that was not there is now there. Something that was dead is now brought to life. And it says that he seated us, so he gave us this positional authority. So we were dead, he brought us to life, but he didn't just stop there. It says that he actually positioned us in this position of authority. It says that he actually set us in the heavenlies with Christ. So all of the things that Christ did and all the things that he benefited from, God actually took those as the mediator and gave those to us. So he didn't say, oh, well, you're alive now, good luck. But he partnered with God and released all of the heavenly authority that we would need, not to just be alive, but to thrive in this lifetime, to be all that God has called us to be. And he did this to show each of us his incomparable riches of his grace. Incomparable means that nothing can compare. If there's things in your life that you think are better than what God has given us, we need to recalibrate our focus. Because, oh man, Lord, I thank you for this and I thank you for this. But one of the most powerful things is that his grace unto salvation, him him loving me and accepting me and sending Jesus to die for me when I was in my sinful state, this is the incomparable riches that we get in Christ. This is the beauty of the love of God. This is God's amazing grace. All of the things that were made available to Jesus are made available to us in verse 8. It says, it is because of grace that you have been saved. This receiving of grace is only available through faith. So it's trusting in God doing it, not what you can do. It's not of yourself. So this causes um, each of us to really give God all of the credit. Now, here's the cool part. Since we've not been saved by our good works, do you understand we cannot be lost by our bad works? How many of you ever have like, you know, I say bipolar relationship with the Lord where one day it's good, one day it's bad, and you think one day you're saved and the next day you're lost because of how you act? That's not how it works because it was never based on how I acted. It was never based on if I deserved it, if I was good enough. Maybe God in his rich mercy would see of some merit that I would have to offer him and he would accept me. That's not what it was. It was because of faith in Jesus and that grace giving me what I didn't deserve that I can receive those things. So if I didn't work for it, I can't lose it. So grace means salvation completely apart from any merit or work on my own end. It's nothing that I've done or can do to save myself. What does this do? Well, this completely shatters the being good enough, trying not to mess up. Well, if I just go today without sinning, God will love me more. No, that's not how it works. He loves you just as much today as he ever has. And it doesn't have anything to do with you growing as a Christian, right? He loves us just as much in our sinful state as he does your sanctified state. I mean, no, that's mind-boggling. There wasn't much to love back then, right? But this is the God we serve in his great mercy and grace. So grace means that God does it all for Jesus' sake. And our salvation is truly a gift. 
And I would probably say it is the best gift. Verse 10, he goes on to, he wants you to remember who you are, but also remember who you once were. So he starts moving towards that more positive state. But when, how many of you know when we remember where we've come from, it helps us to be a little more thankful as we move forward, right? God rescued you guys from anything? Has he saved you from anything? Man, I sure hope so. If not, you got to wrap your mind around this revelation because your life should be changing when you come into a relationship with God. Should be changing, okay? But it says in verse 10, God's handiwork. So we were created in Christ Jesus to do good work. So I'm not saying we go on living life like a heathen once we come into knowledge of, of, of who Jesus is and walk into that, that grace by faith gift that God gives us. But we should be moving towards good works because what happens, what was dead now becomes alive. The things that were serving the carnal worldly nature die and there is a resurrection of life to the things of the spirit. So what happens when that happens is my heart and all of these things, that once, once they, my heart beated for the things of the world, but now my heart is driven for the things of God. So in a natural progression, how many of you know these things that we now do should be focusing towards good works, not bad works? Things that lead to righteousness, not things that lead to destruction and sin in my old, old ways. The old man in Christ is dead, and there is a resurrected new man that comes out, not Part of this guy is still over here. It's a brand new thing. But some of us keep going back and say, well, I need that. Man, let me, let me grab that too. Leave what's in the grave in the grave. God never intended for that to be a part of your future. That was to be a thing of your past. Does that help anybody? If you brought it with you, it's because you picked it up. Because the blood of Jesus put to death what was supposed to be put to death. But he brought to life those things that were supposed to be brought to life. I got anybody that needs to put something back in the grave this morning? You know what it is. You've been carrying it. And God says, leave that in the, in the grave where it belongs. So just quickly repent of that. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've just dealt with it. I've tolerated it. I've said, well, you know, I'm just going to hold on till Jesus comes. I've heard all these things. God wants you to live today like he's already come full of freedom, living new resurrected life. Amen? All right. He says, the things that God had in mind for us to do ahead of time. So uh, we have to understand this, that we all have purpose, right? We all have a purpose in life, that, that we were all built on purpose with a purpose. I know some of us struggle with that. Like, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know why I was created. Guess what? God had a purpose for which you were created. So we all are built on purpose with a purpose. Can you say that? Say, I got a purpose. I got a purpose. And I better hurry up and figure it out. Right? I hear full-grown adults like, man, I just don't know what my purpose is, Pastor. Like, we got to come on with that because the sooner we figure out our purpose, the more we can thrive in what God has called us to. Amen. Right? I'm sure glad Paul didn't lollygag his whole life and didn't know what his purpose was because we would have never had this book if he wouldn't have figured out purpose. All right? So we see the value of purpose. All right? Let's look at these next passages of Scripture, Ephesians 2, 11 through 18. And this talks about our unity that we now have in Christ. So this kind of this debate between the Gentiles and uh, the Israelites and all of these things, this is kind of where this text comes from. But uh, as we look in verse 11, it says, Therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcised. 
which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, can you say that? Say, but now, everything changes. Come on, Jesus. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, dividing the wall of hostility. Verse 15, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Verse 17, he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. I thank God that he didn't stop with the Israelites because that would have excluded me from the rule. Like when we talk about the Gentiles, you know, that's me and you. That's the one, the extended family, not not just the Israelites who God, you know, the Jews who God had originally chosen as his people. But this same grace was going to be expanded to the face of the earth. Right? We became the people of the extended promise is, is kind of the best way to look at that. But it says that we were all once separated, verse 11 and 12. So the Israelites, they were God's chosen people. Um, and, and they believed originally that they were the only ones. They were even judging, hey, you're not circumcised. You should be circumcised. If you really want to be a Christian, get circumcised. If you don't know what that word is, ask your parents. I'm not explaining it. Okay? Um, so, but, but, what, but what Paul began to say, it has nothing to do what you do in the flesh. It has everything to how you respond based on your heart. You can be circumcised in the flesh and your heart can be far from God is what he was saying. He says, hey, you, you've, you've obeyed the rule, but your heart is not right. You've actually abandoned God and you've implemented this law rule where you think it's based on what you do and what, you, what you've accomplished. Right? They're looking at the works. Well, what have you done to prove well, we just read way before this, a few chapters, verses ago, that last I checked, we were all dead. Last I checked, there's nothing I can do by my own hands or by my own special grace to allow me to step into that place of sonship or becoming a daughter of God. Right? So we see that, that the Gentiles were open to it because they needed it. They didn't want to be excluded. They wanted to be part of this. So we see that the Israelites, that they, that they, they kind of like limited really what God was wanting to show them in this. But thank God that Christ came not only for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. That the gospel was started kind of with the Jews, but um, now it was coming to the Gentiles. That's you and me. And, and we would be welcomed also into the family of God. So he took the two and he put them together. So previously, these people were without hope, without God. It says that. But God, through Jesus, would change that. It says, now in Christ, like I said, there's that passage again. Now in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Verse 13, there is this unifying work that he accomplished. It says, all of you were far off. Now you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Okay? He took the two groups and he made one out of them. He himself is our peace and he has destroyed this barrier, removing the division and hostility. Verse 14 and 15. How many of you have ever been guilty of thinking someone is undeserving of saving? You ever done that where you're like, man, I know people don't deserve it, but that one don't deserve it. Right? Maybe they made you real, real mad. Maybe they offended you or, you know, like we, we, we feel like we're judge and jury sometimes, right? I think sometimes we're guilty of that. And, 
And in essence, that's what the Jews were saying. No, they're not worthy of this. They're filthy. They don't, they don't obey the rules. God, they don't, have, they don't have a righteous bone in their body. Well, guess what? The Jews didn't have a righteous bone in their body either till they got resurrected. Double standard. They don't, you know, because I think we can miss right now what God has done previously. And we're very, very judgmental of sinners and people that are far from God, but we used to be the same way. So I always, I always find it mind-boggling that they would not have been excited that, the, that, the, that Christ was going to be preached beyond just the Jews because the same grace and forgiveness that they received, man, we could offer it to the whole world. But how many of you know there were still some fleshy motives in there? They were selfish. They saw themselves being something more than they ought to see. But how many of you know that God loves unconditionally? You know, and this is why I sometimes have a problem when some people say, well, God just died, you know, Jesus just died for some. Like, where's the dividing line? Last I checked, we were all pretty messed up, right? It says we were all deserving of it. So like, divide the line before we're saved. On the road to hell. Like, I mean, like, that's what's happening. There's no, none of us good, no one righteous so that no one can boast. No one says, no, Lord, look at me. I got the good hair, right? Like, I mean, like, well, you, there's nothing you can say. Or I got no hair. Like, I mean, you know, there's nothing. Telling Elias, I said, man, you got the nice bald his head. I said, you, got some, you can see some reflection on, that, on the top of his head, right? But there's nothing that we have to contribute. So when God chose the world, he chose all of us in our sinful state. And when God says that I have died and I sent Jesus for all, I think he was implying all. Jew, Gentile, every race over the face of the earth. He had all of us in mind. Okay? We have to understand that he was all about unifying. He wanted everybody to, to benefit. Verse 16, it says, Reconciliation was made towards God through the cross. So what Jesus did reconciled. It, it, it bridged this broken relationship that we had with the Father. And now, right now, reconciliation is complete. We can come before God's throne of grace with confidence, right? So he came to preach and reach out to all people. And guess what? We should also. This isn't like, I got my gold nugget in my pocket and I ain't sharing with nobody else. No, we can, we can share this gospel, this goodness of God, so that we can all walk around and we can all be adopted into the family of God. That's his heart. But it says that he preached to those who were far away and those who were near. Both can benefit. If you're, if you're close to God today, great, you can benefit. Those who are far from God, guess what? They can still benefit because God is pursuing all of the hearts of humanity. He wants all of them to be part of his family. Okay? Verse 18, it says, We have access to the Father by one spirit. Say one spirit. It's not, well, I got a spirit and you got a different spirit. You know, uh, and, and this, is, this is some of the challenges I think of with, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. Like that, that sometimes we see the division of the global church, but if we all have the same spirit, then we are all the same global church. Now, you may have some doctrinal differences and say, well, I think this and here's the dividing line. Well, I agree with this and I don't agree with this. But I'll tell you what, if we would start focusing on the things that we agree on versus the things that we disagree on, we would look a whole lot more like the church God designed us to be. Amen. Right? 
you know, and don't ruffle feathers, guys. Like, there's things that we support, tongues or healings or, you know, gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, like, we got, you got a church that doesn't believe in those? Don't just have a conversation about those. Well, here's what I think. Man, stay on the cross. Stay on grace. Stay on forgiveness. There's so many things that you can talk about that's on common ground. Now, I secretly hope that they come to this deeper revelation of living in the fullness of what God's word has. But the moment you get settled, even today, maybe spirit-filled believers in this house, that you get settled and you think you have figured it all out and you've received everything that there is to receive, you have thought wrong. Because God still continually, till, he come, till Jesus comes back, wants to keep pouring out all of these things of the Spirit. He came to do a completed work. But what happens? It says that we, have all, we all have access. All of us have access to the Father. How does that happen? Really, the Spirit has marked us and has sealed us, identifying us as His. You know, it's kind of going through like, you know, security. When you got the badge and you got access where you can come in, you are authorized to come in. That's what it looks like to be a son and daughter of God. Hebrews 4, 16. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? Confidence. Right? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have all have access. You have access. It doesn't matter what you've done. If the blood of Jesus covers you, you have access into his presence. If you don't have the blood of Jesus, I would not allow yourself to grant access. It'd be a bad day because sin cannot dwell in the presence of a holy God. But a life covered by the blood of Jesus has unlimited access to the Father. Not because of what I've done, not because I'm good enough, but because Jesus was good enough. He was spotless. He was perfect. He was everything that needed to be so that I could be covered by the blood of Jesus and I could boldly with confidence come before Father's throne of grace with what? Confidence. This is the grace gift. This is the mercy gift. This, these are all the cool things that God did through Jesus. Okay? Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. We're wrapping this up. Verse 19, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Thank God for firm foundations that other people have built that we can stand on. It says, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. He is the main foundation that everything's built. Verse 21, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So it starts out consequently. So because of the work of Jesus, you are now part of kind of three things is what this passage says. In verse 19, 20, and 21, and 22, 19, we're really part of one nation. And then verse 20, one family, and then verses 21 and 22, one temple. So one nation means that, you know, uh, Israel was God's chosen nation, but they really rejected him as a redeemer and, you know, and they suffered the consequences because they limited what he wanted. So then the kingdom was kind of taken from them and it was given to, to another nation uh, and bringing forth fruitful results. And, and he really built a new nation out of the original nation. And, and, and he called it what? The church. And he called the church a chosen generation, a holy nation, a, 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 a peculiar, peculiar people. So we're part of a one nation, like a God nation, right? It's no longer this division and this separation. God sees us as one. And then we're adopted into one family, verse 20. Through the faith in Christ, we enter into God's family and God becomes our father. So this wonderful family of God really is found in two places. It's in the heavenlies. And it's in the earth. Right? We have access to the heavenly realm because Jesus is there. 
and he gives to us on the earth. Why? Because we're here, right? So he, he transfers those things. So we were part, we are all part of the family of God now. We're part of this family through the work of Jesus. Now this morning, as we conclude, I'm going to talk about the temple real quick, but I have a question for you. Have you really ever placed your faith and confidence in the finished work of Jesus? Now, if your first response is, well, at one time I, and it's based on what you've done, man, you're pay, basing everything on what you did or didn't do or what you can or can't do. That's not the point here. The point is, have you placed your trust and your confidence in the finished work of Christ? Because if you're still working for salvation, you got it all backwards. Have you ever truly become part of God's family? Can you go ahead and stand with me? I'm going to give you a chance to do that this morning. If you've never really committed to follow God or you found yourself working for salvation. Man, if you're working for it, you're going to be working for the rest of your life. And man, I just hope at the end you don't get to the end and you realize everything you did in your own strength wasn't good enough. But the only thing that was going to make you good enough was what Jesus did. So that's what we place our faith and our hope in. And it says that he's making us into one temple, verse 21 and 22. So we need to each see ourselves as part of this temple. And we know that the Spirit of God lives inside of each of us, and we're coming together, becoming this visible temple, not of division, but of unity to the world around us. So we're continually building together. We're interlocked with one another. And within each of us, we are that dwelling place of the Spirit of God. So we can really dwell together because the Spirit of God is inside of each of us. That's how I know churches can get along as long as they're saved. Right? Because it doesn't matter what the differences are. The same Spirit in me, it's in you. And that's what allows this unity to be possible. So this morning, today, will you make a choice to draw near to God? Will you come to Him broken, acknowledging where you're at. Because if you've never really allowed the blood of Jesus and the cross to do its work, you're going to be left falling short. So what do you do this morning? You just pray, place all your trust in Jesus and the work that he did. Will you receive the free gift of kindness and love that God demonstrated towards us through the sending of his judgment? of his son Jesus we all know the scripture John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for you and I so that we might have that relationship with him that we may not perish but what have everlasting life not based on what you've done but it's based on what Jesus has done so this morning, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to make it easy for you. If you don't have a relationship with God and you've been working towards salvation and today you need to put your hope and trust in the work of Jesus and you've never done that and you've never really come into the family of God, I want you to be bold and courageous. Come out of your seat and I want you to come forward because today can be a choice that you make for the first time ever to come into a relationship with God. I'm not going to wait long. But I'm going to give you just a moment to respond. To live for God is going to take radical boldness. But to come and receive his free gift of salvation just requires your response.
So now open up your hands and to receive the free gift. Can I get our prayer partners to come up this morning? I'm gonna pray over you. Um, if you know you needed to come up and you didn't move, when I dismiss you, maybe I'll take a little pressure off of you. Please come forward and just let, let these prayer partners know the commitment you've made to follow God. Let us really, really get what Paul was saying this morning through this passage of Scripture and realize the depths of love and the need that we have for Him. Can I pray for you? Lord, I thank you for each one here this morning. Father, I thank you that it's by grace through faith. (laughs) So, Father, I can't earn it or I can't deserve it. You just give it freely. And thank God that it's by the work of Jesus because I can't lose it either. Father, that you cover us from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. Lord, I thank you, God, that we are called and seen as the righteousness of Christ through the work of Jesus. And Father, that each of us individually in our right relationship with you can come boldly before your throne of grace. We have access to you. Father, I pray this morning that all of the old man stays dead and all of the new man or the new woman (laughs) rises to resurrection life. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in and through us, that you never give up on us. But God, your grace and your love and your forgiveness is always available to all of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like to know more about our family, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash HTC Bay City or find us on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.